Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. We are up to chapter 2 of the letter to the Colossians. And this book, the book uh, to, of, of Colossians, is just a fantastic book for us to be studying at this time, at this precise moment in our history as Christians, especially in the Western world, but also in the Eastern world as well. As we, uh, you know, the Eastern world is ahead of us, sorry, in terms of persecution of Christians. The Western world, we're just beginning to feel this uh, turning of tables, this, this shifting of, you know, turning the corner and uh, entering into a new season, a new world. And uh, we need to, as our Christians in the Eastern world, uh, we now need to prepare to live under persecution. And, uh, and part of that persecution is deception. And we need to be prepared to fight against this deception. And the book of Colossians gives us everything we need in order to be successful in that battle. Let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into Colossians chapter 2. Heavenly Father, we come before your holy throne, before Jesus Christ as well at your right hand. And we're just so grateful to you, Father, that you put it in our hearts to seek you, to seek Christ, to, to study, just to, to be workmen, rightly dividing uh, the word of truth, and to understand the power of this word. We praise you, God, and just thank you so much for this blessing that we have, and that we can be together as we study your word. Bless us, Father, with our study and our understanding, deepen our knowledge, our conviction, and our faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, brethren, as I mentioned, we're up to um, Colossians chapter 2, and let me just bring my screen up here. Colossians um, chapter 2, and I want to just um, pick up a little bit from chapter 1. It's so hard. Uh, the way the Apostle Paul thinks and the way he writes, it's hard to just pick a verse and pick a, you know, pick a verse here, pick a verse there. So I just wanted to get a little bit of the context from chapter 1. And I found myself like, why don't I just repeat the whole chapter? But, you know, we have chapter 1 in the archives. So please uh, go back and study that. But let me just pick up a few verses from chapter 1, just so we have context for chapter 2. He says in Colossians 1 and verse 9, uh, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled. Notice this. This is Paul's desire uh, and Timothy. That the Colossians and us by extension might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. In other words, this is not superficial. This is not, you know, do you know the Lord? Do you accept the Lord in your heart? Say this little prayer and you'll go to heaven. This is deep, 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 profound knowledge. Uh, it has, we have to dig for it. Uh, we have to ask, seek, and knock. And then it will be provided. Uh, so it's something we really have to go after. And it's not something that Paul's taking for granted. It's something that him and Timothy are praying earnestly that the Christian brethren in Colossae might be filled not just a little bit, but filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding in order that you might work, walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. So, so this deep knowledge and understanding and wisdom is required in order to fully walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. There it is again. There it is again that he wants the brethren to be increasing in the knowledge of God. And we have a lot of brethren, even uh, to this day, among us, that think they, they want to discount knowledge. And by discounting knowledge, they want to discount teachers. 
And, and by doing that, they want to put themselves in the forefront because they have neither knowledge nor the ability to teach. They just want to make this, this emotional thing, just to, to follow them in this emotionalism. Well, that's not what the, the Apostle Paul is after here. Very important that we're increasing in the knowledge of God. And dropping down to verse 24 in chapter 1, and, and notice this now, who you, you, brethren in Colossae, now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Oh, there's suffering involved. The, the impression you get from a lot of Christian teachers and preachers is that coming to Christ and, and just blessing upon blessing, coming to Christ and everything is so great. And then the people who aspire to be in teaching roles, they have no uh, sense of persecution associated with this role. They only see wealth. You know, put your hand on the television set or on the screen and send me money and you'll be blessed. And so while they're promising this uh, material blessing to others, they themselves are the ones who are truly increasing in material wealth. Well, Paul is saying, as a teacher, I am undergoing significant sufferings for you, but you should rejoice in that because of the fruit that I'm bearing in my work. Who now rejoice, you now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And I'm filling up that which is behind the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake which is the church, and we talked about unpacking the meaning of that last week. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you. So whatever gifting Paul had, he was very clear, he's received these gifts to, for the edification of the body, to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations. There it is again. There's a knowledge, there's an under, a spiritual understanding that we have to go after. And Paul is saying this, this mystery, it has been hidden. But now it's made manifest to his saints. To whom God would make known, there it is again, knowledge, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And there it is again. There's, a, there's some knowledge which is not superficial, which has to be pursued, which has to be taught, which actually has to be revealed. Which is Christ in you, in you, the brethren at Colossae, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man, there it is again, knowledge, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may, we may present every man perfect or mature in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, this is hard work, striving according to his working which works in me mightily and if you were with us for the study in Ephesians we talked about this power of God the same power that raised Christ from the dead that now works in us mightily and Paul having fully accessed this power was praying for the Ephesians to also access this power and also now the brethren at Colossae that they would tap into this power so this brings us now to chapter 2 and verse 1 where he says, For I would, or I wish, that you knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and as for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So he did not found these congregations, but uh, he's, he's striving for them, and he wants them to know this is not easy. It is a great conflict. There is significant opposition to this work. And I think, you know, we in the West, we don't understand this. We haven't had it. 
we've really been operating under what I will call the long shadow of the Roman Empire. That when the Roman Empire converted to Christianity, uh, you know, although it was a false Christianity, it was still the Bible and the, the value system that comes from the Bible. And so we had the Pax Romana, and then for the past 240-odd years, 45 years, we've been operating under the Pax Americana. You know, between the British Empire and now the, the American Empire, this, this sense that the Bible matters, and the value system of the Bible matters. And although there has been the, you know, the, the, the uh, Catholic persecution of the saints, and even the Protestant persecution of the saints, and the emphasis on Sunday worship rather than Sabbath, uh, still, for the most part, we in the West have not known significant persecution. We've known some persecution, but not like your brethren in the East. But here now, the world is changing, and we're seeing this uh, Marxist-Communist takeover of the West combined with cooperation with the Islamic movements, and, and, and suddenly Christianity is being spotlighted as a problem. And, and, and in Paul's time, there was great conflict in teaching the truth of Christ. And he wanted the brethren to understand, that by example, what he is going through or was going through, so that they themselves would also be equally convicted to fight for this faith. In fact, um, to the brethren in Thessalonica, he says, But even after we had suffered before and were shamefully treated, as you know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you, the gospel of God with much contention. So brethren, these scriptures are going to start to pop off the page for us. I always liken scriptures to like a time-released capsule where there may be maybe a medication that you're having and they've, they've put it in a time-released capsule. So you take it and at two hours there's a certain part of the medication that's released and at four hours another part and at six hours another part and at eight hours another part. So, so it's time-released. Uh, this is the same way, and I'm not 100% sure how this all works, but there's a science behind making the medication time-released. Uh, in, in the same way, these scriptures, they're right in front of us the whole time we're reading them, but they don't really matter until our situation changes. And then suddenly, these scriptures pop off the page. And I think that's what's, that's what's happening now as we in the Western world uh, begin to catch up with, bre with uh, brethren and Christians in the Eastern world around this sense of uh, Christianity being persecuted and, and an effort to stamp it out of society. So there's going to be great conflict and now we're going to see the teachers who were in position for glory versus those who were gifted to be in that role for edification. Those that are there for glory just want to be uh, looked up to. When the persecution begins, they'll be the first to run. Those that are imbued by the spirit for edification when the persecution begins, they will intensify the edification following the Apostle Paul's example. So, despite this great conflict, they were bold in God to speak unto you the gospel of God despite the contention. And so, Paul is now hoping that the brethren at Colossae come to understand this great contention. That their hearts, verse 2, might be comforted so, so once they realize the great love and contention that Paul is undergoing on their behalf, that their, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding. There it is again. There's a depth of knowledge that is required that Paul is expecting them to have, that he's saying 
that they, they, they need to be comforted, being knit together in agape, so that's, that's a critical component of what we're a part of, that we cannot allow our agape to fail. In fact, it's prophesied that it will for the most part, for, for most brethren. But we have to contend for this. We have to fight for this and, and really commit ourselves to the edification of the body. So how are you doing? In your congregation, How would if, if we were to stop at time right now and evaluate you, how are you doing? Are you committed to your congregation? Are you committed to edifying with whatever gift or abilities you have? Are you committed to edifying your congregation? Because that's a big part of what we're, what we're a part of right now, what we're, what we're supposed to be doing. Being knit together in agape and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding. There's a level of understanding that we need here that we are absolutely convicted about. And I just saw, and I'll just mention this briefly, I, I'm uh, over in the UK, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not in my normal circumstances, but I was just following on the Slack channel, and I just saw in there somebody state that, you know, God can do as he wishes. No, he cannot. No, he cannot. There are things that God may wish to do, but they're impossible for him to do. Because it's impossible for him to lie. It's impossible for him to break his covenant. God is bound by his word. And that's why we can have this full assurance of understanding. The same way Abraham had this full assurance of understanding. That he was able to hear God's word, accept God's word, and know that it's impossible for God to lie. So there are certain things that even though God may wish to intervene and do something, he won't. That it's only through Christ that God can do the things that he, he does for Israel. And that's how we can have this absolute full assurance of God. And that's what we need to teach to Israel. That you can behold your God. You can have confidence in this God because study the word. And he will fully uh, fulfill what he has promised. That's, that's, the full, that's where the full assurance comes from. That God is a God of covenant. To the acknowledgement of the mystery. There it is again. There's something special and central about knowledge and a certain type of knowledge to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ very strange uh, translation here uh, if I look at the Greek I would just render this as to the recognition or the acknowledgement of the mystery of God uh, and of Christ or, or the mystery of Christ in God it's, it's, the mystery is, in, is around Christ but it's in God and it's from God and so now that we understand that the mystery is in Christ, we go to verse 3. In whom, that is Christ, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There it is again. There are treasures of wisdom and knowledge, but they're in Christ. It's a mystery, but we have to pursue it and acknowledge it. And God will give it to us. And this I say, I'm saying all of this, about all of this uh, central role of the knowledge of the mystery of Christ this I say lest any man should beguile you with enticing words this is powerful this again shows us just how it's, it's about words it's a war of narratives people are spinning words because that's how you get into the minds of human beings and, and human beings have to interpret the world around us through words ideas, narratives, stories, perspectives. That has to get into our head, and then as we look around, we can understand. We can see and understand and interpret what is happening. 
same event, two people looking at the same event with wildly different interpretations. This is the power of deception and the power of truth. So Paul is saying, look, you've got to have this full assurance of the knowledge of the mystery of Christ. You've got to understand the central role of Jesus Christ. And once you've got that, when these people come with their enticing words, if they are moving you away from Christ, the central role of Christ in what God is doing, you can dismiss them. You won't go near them. You will reject them because of the knowledge you have and the, and the full assurance you have of this knowledge. So we cannot play with knowledge, brethren. And it's not superficial knowledge. It's knowledge that has to be developed over time and by revelation. He says here, uh, and this I say, lest any man should beguile you or spoil you or ruin you or, or entrap you and, and, and uh, cap- make you captive with words, with enticing words. And we are seeing this today. We are seeing, look, look how easily this, this phenomenon in the last sort of five years of Black Lives Matter came on the scene and just, boom, seduced so many brethren, so many brethren seduced into social justice and running up and down and losing the centrality of Christ. Look how easily it happened. And this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. Stay tuned. More to come. More deception to come. More onslaught to come. More focused on destroying the church of God. And, and so this is so practical for us right now. To understand the power of enticing words. People speaking and saying the things. Speaking into your wounds. Speaking into your psychological hurts. And making you feel like you're superior. So you go after them. Don't do that. Go after Christ. He says, Christ himself says, Beware of false prophets, false teachers which come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ravening wolves. This is dangerous territory. Christ is warning us that there are going to be teachers that are going to destroy the people of God, going to tear them apart spiritually. And Paul now, uh, being taught by Christ, warns us that we might be spoiled and taken captive uh, with enticing words. And then he goes on, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So these reports uh, are coming to him uh, while he's in prison and he's hearing of their, their, their steadfastness and their order and he's rejoicing in that and he's with them spiritually. As you there, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in him. Stay steadfast, brethren. We've received a certain truth. Don't get distracted so easily. Stay focused on what we're what we have been called to, beloved. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to go to Jude. So he says, uh, "As you have therefore received Christ Jesus, so walk you in Him." That is going to be a contention. So in Jude three, Jude writes, "Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, so that's what I wanted to do." Instead, it was necessary for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So this is, this is when, when he says here, um, as you've received Christ Jesus, so walk you in him. This is going to be a struggle. The wolves dressed in sheep's clothing are going to come and try to take this away from you. You have to be careful and make sure that you, as, as the brethren that Jude was writing to, 
we are earnestly contending for the faith and understanding the importance of this. He says in verse um, 7, Colossians 2 verse 7, Paul writes, we need to be rooted and built up in Him. In Him. Established, rooted. Rooted in Him. Built up in Him. And established in the faith. As you've been taught, there it is again. Teachers are there giving you this, this edification and you as a result of this edification are being rooted think of a plant being rooted and then built up and established in the faith abounding therein with thanksgiving so no matter what happens because of the knowledge that we have we are just our hearts are just overflowing with thanksgiving no matter what happens and again the seasons are changing we're going into some very dark times but if we, nobody can take this away from us. Nobody can take this away from us. <laughs> Excuse me. They can take physical things away from us. They can take our liberties away from us. But they can't take away from us the freedom we have in Christ. And the knowledge and the understanding we have. That's why it's so important to be rooted and established. Christ himself taught, and I, I mentioned this on the sermon on Sabbath. Uh, I'm sorry I was on mute is the name of that sermon in case you missed it. But, and I go into more detail here but one of the categories that he spoke to here in verse 20 but he that receives seed into stony places the same is he that hears the word and immediately with joy he receives it it's a beautiful message he's joyful to receive this yet has he not roots in himself there's no root so Paul says we need to be rooted and built up in him Christ says this particular type of Christian doesn't have root He's happy with the message. He endures for a while, not to the end. He endures for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by, he is scandalized. He's offended. He, he brings himself into sinfulness. And I speak more about that in the sermon that I gave on Sabbath. But the key here is Christ understood that there are going to be some that are not rooted. And Paul understood that. And so he was contending mightily to do all he can to establish the brethren and ensure that they were rooted and grounded in the faith. But we have our part as well. We, we have to take this teaching and really dig deep into it and, 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 and allow the Spirit to, to establish us in the truth. Why? So that when persecution comes, we continue to endure with that full assurance of the acknowledgement of the mystery that is in Christ. If we're not rooted... When the persecution comes, we'll be shocked and offended and I didn't sign up for this. So we have to be established in this knowledge and this teaching. Look, look how many times over and over Paul emphasizes the centrality of the knowledge of Christ. The deep knowledge. He says in verse 8, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. There it is again. It's a very sharp warning and a very deep concern that the Apostle Paul has, that there is something happening, whatever reports he was getting about what was happening in Colossae, he, in Colossae, he saw their steadfastness, he heard of their orderliness, but he also heard of the wolves in sheep's clothing, of the infiltration, of the false doctrines that were coming in. And so he's saying, hey guys, it's great that you're steadfast and you're orderly, but don't take things for granted. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy. How, how do they spoil through philosophy? philosophy? Through enticing words. Doctrine has to creep in. 
There has to be another teaching that creeps in among the brethren that does not put Christ at the center. Again, look how easily brethren were seduced by this evil doctrine, this Marxist philosophy. And, and not just that, you have other brethren that will speak of Marxism as if it's a good thing, as if it's a nice thing. Speak of socialism as yeah, that we should support socialism. And these are brethren. It's all words, enticing words. And Marxism is so enticing. It's so, it sounds so great. And anywhere where you look where it's tried to be implemented, it's been nothing but destructive and murderous. But especially young people, they don't look into the past. They don't look into history. They just get caught up in the rhetoric. Enticing words. So this is totally relevant for us today. Beware lest any man spoil you, destroy you. Through philosophy. How should you interpret the world around you? What is the meaning of life? It's the, they're not teaching the centrality of Christ, but some other earthly philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. There's the difference. They're not teaching you to go after Christ. Social justice this and social justice that, but it's not Christ. For in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Christ was God. And the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him through the power of the Holy Spirit in his body. And and you know, people will say, Well, where does Christ say that he's God? Well, if you look in Luke nine, verse twenty, he said it to them, Who do you say that I am? Peter answering him said, The Christ of God. You are the Messiah. You're the one that all the prophecies are about. And he straight, he immediately commanded them and charged them and commanded them, don't fool around here. He Once they got it right, he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing. This thing needs to be, remain a mystery. So you figured it out. Fantastic. Make sure you don't tell anybody. So Christ was not up and down saying, hey, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. I'm, I'm the one that uh, all the prophecies are about. He kept that quiet. And once his disciples figured it out, he commanded them and charged them, don't tell anybody this thing. Saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things, it's necessary. That he's come to earth, he has to suffer many things, and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be slain, and be raised the third day. This is necessary. He, he came on a purpose to rescue Israel. And it was important for him to be slain, and to conquer death, and to rise the third day. Now, in 1 Corinthians 2, in verse 7, Paul continues the story. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. It's not fully known. And we're speaking it. Even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. And we unpack that in Ephesians. The study on Ephesians. But he says here, which none of the princes of this world knew. They didn't know. Christ commanded them, don't tell anybody this thing. So none of the princes knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And even the demons themselves, Satan himself, didn't understand. And Deacon Jan mentioned this in his sermon recently, that had Satan understood, the last thing he would have done would, 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 would be to cause Christ to be put to death. He would have gone out of his way to ensure that Christ just dies a natural death and that he wasn't crucified. But they didn't, it was a mystery and they didn't understand. And so the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. 
but it's a mystery. People do not understand. Back to Colossians 2 verse 10. And you are complete in Him. In Him. In Christ. In Him. Christ is the central figure here. And anybody who tries to take us away from that is a deceiver. It's in Him. In Him. In Christ. And you are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. And there's a real um, connection between Colossae uh, and Ephesus. These letters that he wrote to these two congregations from prison. And it's the same man writing to these two different congregations in prison, from prison. And what he writes to one will help us understand what he's writing to the other. Because it's the same thoughts and understanding and conviction and, and perspective that Paul has that's informing his letters. So when he says that, he's saying to the Colossians that Christ is the head of all principality and power. That's the same thing he said to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 1.21, that Christ is far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And this is going to be very important, that what he says to the Ephesians is not markedly different from what he says to Colossae. Back to Colossians 2 and 11. In whom, again in Christ, also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. So there's a circumcision made with hands, but then there's this, that was actually pointing to another circumcision, one made without hands. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. It's all about Christ. Buried with him in baptism, with him, so in him, in him, now with him, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. And again, he spoke to the Ephesians about this power that raised Christ from the dead that now works in us. And now he's speaking to the uh, Colossians to say that we have faith in this operation of God through this power that raised Christ from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he brought to life together with him, there it is again with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. And again, I think as, you, as I'm reading this, you're hearing Ephesians. Ephesians 2 and verse 1 And you has he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins where in time past you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience so clearly how the uh, Ephesians were being taught that they were once held captive they've been released by this special power and uh, they, they now are brought back to life they're brought to new life same thing he's telling the Colossians back to verse 14 blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us so this law was against us we Israel and the uh, Gentiles that have been grafted in to Israel there, there is a law, there is a covenant that when we look at our behavior and our conduct and we look at the covenant we're cursed and so this handwriting of ordinances was against us which was contrary to us Actually, and we could actually say we were contrary to it and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So Christ came to redeem Israel and took all of those curses of the covenant upon himself so that he, as the Holy One of Israel, could redeem Israel. And God could be righteous, not, not doing whatever he pleases, but acting according to the law. And God could be righteous in his redemption of Israel according to the law because of Christ's intervention. And having spoiled, verse 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers. So, so these principalities and powers are working through men to spoil us. But Christ came to spoil them. Because he's far above them. 
and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So you have a sense here, he's making a show of them openly. And again in Ephesians 4, in verse 8, he says, Wherefore he says, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and then gave gifts unto men. So you get the sense of almost a parade, where you, the, the Roman uh, soldiers, when they conquered the enemy, they would parade them through the street and lead the captives captive. And that's what Christ is now doing with these principalities and powers, making a show of them openly. When they didn't understand what they were doing and they destroyed him, they didn't realize that was his victory. Nor did they realize our victory in following Christ. When they put us down, that's when we rise. He says in verse 16, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Now, People will jump on this verse and they'll say, see, I, if I don't want to keep the Sabbath, you're not supposed to judge me. I can break the Sabbath if I want. How on earth could we gather that from Paul's writings? Especially when we couple it with Ephesians. Why, why wouldn't we read, that, read this as, these brethren are being grafted into the commonwealth of Israel. They are leaving their pagan past. And now people are saying, why are you keeping the Sabbath? You know, how come you're not keeping Christmas with us? Why, why are you keeping the Feast of Tabernacles? So, so as you keep these things, as you keep these, these, these instructions, the Holy Days, the New Moon, the Sabbaths, don't let anybody judge you about that. And, and here, in, again, put Colossians and Ephesians together. Ephesians in 2.12 says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now you are grafted into this commonwealth of Israel. And so they would now uh, understand what this entails. And, and the Sabbath is not something to play with. And so if you're not familiar with uh, our teachings on the Holy Days and, the, and God's Sabbath, please write into us, info at cgi.org, and ask for our teachings on God's Holy Days and just how these holy days unpack the mystery of God that Paul is talking about. That in order to understand this mystery of what God is doing and the central role of Christ in the plan, we have to understand the holy days. And it's by observing these holy days year after year, it's been experientially what we've all had, that by observing these holy days, our understanding of what God is doing grows deeper. So he says, these things, these holy days and the Sabbaths, are a shadow of things to come. They are valid. You might be sitting somewhere and you see a shadow cover you and you look and there's the person. So the shadow it points you to the actual object, to the actual person. So these things, these holy days and Sabbaths that we keep, they're a shadow. They point forward. They help us understand what's coming. They are a shadow of things to come. And it says, but I would equally, there could be equally uh, translated, and now. So these are a shadow of things to come. And now the body is of Christ. So the church right now is of Christ and these holy days that we are observing are a shadow pointing to the reality that is coming. Now he goes on and, and clearly there was something going on around Colossae uh, and, and the best way to explain this would be syncretism and we see it today where it's a mixing up. So there are Jews that are uh, syncretizing with paganism and pagans syncretizing with Jews, and, and Paul is trying to keep them on the straight and narrow. 
So now you can see this, uh, some, some kind of um, paganist, pagan uh, influence. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility, humility and worshipping of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. So they want to pull you away from the truth in Christ. And, and um, Vance Vincent just gave a wonderful sermon um, this past Sabbath. I believe it's called the, the Word, the, um, the Implanted Word. So look up uh, Vance Vincent, the Implanted Word. And, and I think his treatment of James, the epistle from James, really helps us understand this role of, of um, the Torah in the Christian life. And, and this false Christianity that just makes us read things like, oh yeah, the Torah is thrown away. Uh, so look for uh, Vance Stinson, the implanted word, to get a real understanding of the role of the Torah in the Christian life. So, so don't let them beguile you. Don't let them seduce you uh, of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshipping of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen. He has no knowledge. He's ma- they're making things up vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind they want to be teachers they want followers and not holding the head there it is again the centrality of Christ not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands have nourishment ministered and knit together increasing with the increase of God again as I'm reading this for many of us if we're familiar with Ephesians we're hearing his letter to Ephesians that these people are not holding the head they, they, they have made Christ is involved maybe in their teaching but not centrally and they're not holding him as the head they're putting they're talking Christ many are coming saying I am Christ but they're deceiving many and they're putting something else as the real passion not Christ from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increases with the increase of God what did he say to the Ephesians that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ Christ is the head from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies every joint is supplying according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And again, we unpack Ephesians in detail in the Ephesians study, but I just wanted to show you here how the same thoughts and ideas that are driving his communication with the brethren in Ephesus, these same ideas and concepts are driving his communication with the brethren at Colossae. And so when we want to take that, you know, oh, the Sabbath is done away, the holy days are done away. In Ephesians, again, I'll remind you, Ephesians 2, verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ. You Gentiles were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now you're grafted into the commonwealth of Israel. So, so this whole idea that, you know, this is a Gentile thing we can do whatever we want no we're grafted into the commonwealth of Israel back to um, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 20 wherefore if you be dead with Christ so there it is again with Christ 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 
You're in him, you're in him, you're in him, you're with him, you're buried with him, you're raised with him, you're, you're now you're dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world. Why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? And what are the ordinances? Is, is the ordinance don't keep the Sabbath? Or sorry, so, you know, the ordinance keep the Sabbath and therefore you don't have to keep it anymore? No, there's these there's syncretism. There's some weird sort of teachings that are infiltrating um, a mixture of Judaism and paganism and that's what's going on today. We're seeing syncretism where we see versions of Christianity mixed with paganism, now mixed with Islam, mixed with Marxism. Actually, that's a big one for us today. Marxist, Marxianity. Marxist philosophy being infiltrating into the teachings of Christianity, even into the Church of God, where people are putting forward something that sounds so social justice righteous, and it's syncretism. It's not Christ. It's not holding Christ as central and being passionate about Christ and his promises we're getting passionate about today's world and trying to save this when it is, it is just collapsing all around us you're trying to save this this is what needs to be replaced so why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances touch not, taste not, handle not which are all to perish with the using so there's some sort of uh, treatment here and it's not necessarily Judaism. Uh, it, it may be paganism. It may be a mixture of them. But there's some kind of uh, ritualistic process happening here. And, and the brethren are getting caught up in it. And Paul is saying, why are you doing this? After the commandments and doctrines of men. These, 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 these things are of men. The Sabbath. The holy days. You just don't have to go to Leviticus 23. God says... Tell Moses, tell the children of Israel, these are my holy days. So the Sabbaths and the holy days are not commandments and teachings of men. But whatever it is that they were getting into here, don't touch this, don't taste that, don't handle that. Th these things are, are made up by men, traditions of men, after the commandments and doctrines of men. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body so there's a show of wisdom in it. it it appears like there's something there it sounds good even today again we can sort of lift from Colossae and, and place it here in the west today and say social justice when do we want it now what do we want justice when do we want it now it sounds righteous it sounds good it has a show of wisdom in will worship worshipping the will that, that, that hey by, by the power of our will we can make this happen and brethren get seduced and not keeping Christ central which things have indeed a show of wisdom so he's acknowledging that it sounds good in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh so there's sort of this, this asceticism uh, the sacrificing, the way that these people are living, it seems righteous. And then he goes on, and we'll continue in chapter 3 next week, God willing. If you then be risen with Christ, there it is, in Christ, in Christ, with Christ, in Christ, with Christ, this knowledge of Christ, let's not get deceived or, or uprooted or spoiled. Let's stay in Christ and with Christ. If you then 
be risen with Christ. Seek those things which are above. Don't get caught up, brethren, and, and now as well, I have to comment on the U.S. election process, which isn't over yet. Uh, middle of December should finally be complete. But hopefully, brethren, as much as you know, brethren may be patriots and want the best for America, uh, others who just sort of want social justice and think they want the best for mankind, uh, thinking that the destruction of America is a good thing. Um, in any case, as much as we hope for the best in this world, we live with whatever the outcomes are. Because we're seeking those things which are above. Where Christ sits on the right hand of God. And again, we go to Ephesians to see how is it that he sits on the right hand of God. This mighty power that God used to reach down, to raise him from the earth, from the middle of the earth, from the grave, and bring him back to life and place him at his right hand. That same power is the power that is working mightily in Paul in this contention against these false teachers. And we, brethren, have access to that same power now rightly dividing the word of truth not allowing these, these, these principalities and powers through the enticing words of men to seduce us away from the understanding of the mystery that is in Christ the hope of glory Jesus Christ is Lord brethren, God willing we will see you next week God bless